following a great time of worship and song, this worship in God's Word together. So why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. It's where we're going to start this morning, Luke 15. We wrapped up Acts last week and we're going to land here uh, this morning. And personally, just want to let you know I'm very, very excited about the next few days in the life of our church. Some exciting things as we focus on this mission that Jesus has given us as a church. And over the next few days, we're going to be challenged and equipped to grow uh, in this area of making Jesus known. Uh, now, we have a conviction, and you're not, you don't have to be around here very long to know that if, as a part of this church, we really do believe and we really do have a conviction that as Jesus followers, every single one of us are called we are commissioned and we are empowered to make known the love of God, to make known this gospel to our neighbors who are close and the nations that are far off. We've been given this privilege. We just sang about it and it's, it's who we're growing into as a church. We continue to grow in this area and over the next few days, uh, we're going to be laser focused and I'm really excited to be equipped and challenged and just incredible ways as the church over the next few days. We're going to kick off Share Week this morning. I'll say more about that. And then uh, Hero of the Faith, Nick Ripken, is going to be with us next weekend, really Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. You can go online and find out all about that. We'll say more about that in just a few minutes. But the goal is uh, that we just be challenged in this area like never before as a people. Now, let me just really share with you personally for a second before we dive into the scriptures what my prayer for us is over the next few days as we really focus on making Jesus known. Um, I think it's undeniable, and I'm just going to say this as an observation, but I think it's undeniable that in our church over the past few months, there is a spark. And I'm thrilled about it. You say, a spark? What, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm just honored that the Lord seems to be doing something in us, in our lives, and us as a body. And there's this spark and there's a sense and you hear it in conversations and you you can't go to a life group without somebody asking you who you're sharing the gospel with and you you, you hear it in our messages and I, I hear it in conversations of people talking about their three names of who they're praying for and I'm hearing stories like I've been sharing with you the past few weeks of people who are just so excited that they're getting to share the gospel with people and they're seeing people come to Christ and we're, we're hearing that. There's a spark. There's movement in our midst. And man, we're thankful to the Spirit of God. I, I just got an email just a couple days ago from a brother in this church and he sent this email. It was almost at midnight and he had just finished meeting with someone. And he said, after a long conversation with a gentleman who had visited our church, Tonight, he repented of his sin and placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, praise the Lord, I'll, I'll share more about it later. And he sent that out at midnight because he was so excited. He just wanted to get the word out that he had got to see somebody come to Christ just this past week. And so there's a spark. And you, you, it's undeniable that there's this movement and it's the conversation and it's the, the chatter. And here's my prayer for the next several days in the life of our church that God by his spirit would take this spark and fan it into a flame and it would become a movement. And I really mean that in the lives of, of us and me and our church that it's not just a neat weekend that we're having and it's not just cool t-shirts we're wearing and, and all this, but that there will be this spark of 
making Jesus known will simply become who we are as a church. And we've been reading through Acts and we've studied through Acts and I just see how God providentially puts all that together and we get to the book of the end of the book of Acts last week and we see that the gospel continued on unhindered and we are the 29th chapter of Acts. We're the rest of the story. Carrying on the message of the gospel, we've been given this incredible privilege and Lord, would you take this spark that you're doing in us and would you just make it a flame? That we, like Acts, cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. We can't stop telling people about Jesus. And that's my prayer for us. So this morning, as we kick off Share Week, we'll say more about that as we go into these next few days. I thought this morning we would take a few minutes and and kick off these really important days by simply taking a look at the life of Jesus from Luke chapter 15. Now, here's why we're going to look at this passage, and here's why we're going to look at this. Because, to be honest, if we're really honest with each other, and th- this idea of sharing the gospel and that we are his witnesses and we are his tool to make Jesus known, listen, it doesn't come naturally. <laughs> it's part of this process of growing as believers that we've been so overwhelmed with the grace of God. We want to make him known, but it doesn't come naturally. And the only reason... You and I are sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and even pursuing this is simply because of Christ in us. Jesus is in us. And the empowering and the equipping and the heart of Jesus dwells in every believer. So we're going to look at something that took place in the life of Jesus and and the heart from him we're going to see here. Lord, that's, that's us because Christ lives in us. So Luke chapter... 15, I'm going to set it up this way. Uh, It's very clear through the life of Jesus that he spent his days and his hours making known the love of his Father. Uh, It was Jesus that said in John 15, 15, he said, But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Jesus defines friendship there as saying friends make known the love of God to their friends. That's where we get this little hashtag that you see around. Hashtag share1515. Where does that come from? Straight from Jesus, John 1515. He defines friendship this way. Friends make known the love of God to their friends. It's what we do. It's who we are. It was Jesus that said in Luke 19.10, he said, For the Son of Man, speaking of himself, has not come or has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus said in Luke 5.32, he said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you follow along in the life of Jesus through the Gospels, one thing that jumps out at you is there were times that Jesus was highly controversial. (laughs) Everybody didn't agree with Jesus. And there were times that Jesus' zeal to make the love of his Father known got him into trouble. It got him in trouble with the church crowd and it got him in trouble with the religious crowd. In fact, in Luke 7, 37, it it says this, The Son of Man has come, this is Jesus, eating and drinking, but you say, the religious crowd, you say, look at him, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They gave Jesus a nickname. 
the nickname they gave Jesus, as you know, is the friend of sinners. And they didn't mean that as a compliment. It was the religious crowd, primarily the Pharisees, which means to be set apart. And they, they believed and they felt like, why, Jesus, would you spend your time? Why would you share meals? Why would you invest your time in those people? who don't keep the law and don't do the right things and don't live by what we think they should live like. They threw this nickname on Jesus and they said, you are a friend of sinners. I wonder, as I read this this week, this thought came to my mind. They were accusing Jesus of compromise. Listen, I wonder, have any of us ever gone so far to reach someone with the gospel that church people accuse us of compromise? what they do to Jesus here. You're a friend of sinners, man. What are you doing? You've gone too far, Jesus. And it's in that context, that kind of environment that Luke 15 picks up. It's really a confrontation between Jesus and some religious leaders of his day. And that's where we pick up in Luke 15. So let me just read a couple verses to you. It says this, now all the tax collectors, there they are again, the bad people, quote-unquote, and the sinners were coming near to him, to Jesus. And I love this next phrase, to listen to him. Do you love that? Both the Pharisees, now the Pharisees were the strict religious sect of the day. The word Pharisee literally means set apart. They were the fastidious rule keepers of the day. And they were by many seen as the heroes of the day. I mean, they they looked on the outward like religious people. They spoke like religious people. But Jesus said, hey, man, you, your heart is like a tomb that's whitewashed on the outside, but inside of you is like dead man's bones. <laughs> they didn't like that too much. So it's these guys that are looking at Jesus, and they don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. Why are you pursuing these people, Jesus? And why are you making known the love of God with such zeal to these people? says both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. Oh, I hate that word. Murmur, murmur, murmur under their breath, saying, This man, Jesus, this, this man receives sinners. And watch this. He eats with them. And, and the, the implication is, can you believe he would do such a thing? And they had great disdain and contempt for Jesus. And they didn't understand why Jesus was doing what he was doing. They slapped this nickname on him. And it's this, this kind of confrontational context that you pick up that they're looking down on Jesus. Tax collectors in that day, you know, were Jews who were hired out by the Roman government to exact taxes on their countrymen. And they were extortioners, so they would take a little off the top, and sometimes they would take a lot off the top, and they would pad their own pockets as they collected taxes, and they were hated by the Jews. The sinners were just kind of a generic term for notoriously evil people who refused to follow the Mosaic law. From the mind of the Pharisees, they were the them. <laughs> they were over there. They were not the us. And they were sinful people, and they were wicked people, and they needed a Savior. And aren't you glad that Jesus eats with wicked sinners like you and me? Because that's the crowd we're in. So it's the context as they were coming to Jesus. 
It says all of them, not a few, but many of them, they were eating with Jesus. And in that day, sitting down and sharing a meal with someone was a great, it was just a great picture of affection. It was a great picture of acceptance. Jesus was sitting down and sharing meals with these people. And the religious crowd just couldn't get it. And it says, and they listened to him. Man, I love this. There's one commentator that said, as you walk through the Gospel of Luke, it seems that Jesus is always going to a meal. He's at a meal or he's coming from a meal. There was a lot of ministry in the life of Jesus that took place at meals. And we are glad about that. We like meal ministry. Amen. A lot of ministry in the life of Jesus took place in the common ordinary things of life like sitting down at a meal. And Luke 15 says, and they listened to him. Man, that is challenging. They listened to him. You know why they listened to him? Because they sensed that he genuinely cared for them. So they were coming to him. And Jesus was spending time, and Jesus was sharing the love of the Father, and Jesus was sharing over meals, and much of his time was spent simply making known the love of the Father. And the religious crowd, and here's the context of what we're just getting into, they said, why are you doing this? Jesus doesn't make any sense to us. And Jesus does a pretty cool thing in Luke 15, 3. Here's what he does. When confronted, he tells them a story. (laughs) So he goes into these parables. And he goes into these three parables in Luke 15. And a parable is, it's an earthly story that everybody could get. Everybody could connect with it. And everybody could relate to it. But it has this really strong heavenly meaning, if you will. So Jesus launches into these three stories to answer their charge against him. Why are you you striving so much to make known the love of the Father to those people, if you will? And here's how Jesus answers. You can follow along. He begins in verse 4, and he tells one story. He says, well, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep... And he, and he loses one of them, or he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now, you may not be a shepherd. You may not even be a farmer. I'm not a shepherd or a farmer. I don't completely get that. But in that day, everybody standing around went, oh, I get it. Listen, you lose one of your sheep, you're going after that thing. You're not standing around twiddling your thumbs. You're not hoping it works out. That sheep is of so much value, you lose one of those things, you're going to go get it. That's the point. So then he goes on, he says, okay, you may not get the sheep story, but how about this one, verse 8. He says, or what woman, if she has lost ten silver coins, I'm sorry, if she has ten silver coins, and these are not pennies, these are very valuable coins. If she loses ten silver coins, or she she has ten, she loses one of them, she does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And the point was everybody standing around says, oh, I get that. Everybody's lost something of value, right? Everybody in this room, man, you've lost your car keys or you've lost your wallet or you've lost your car or you've lost something. And all of us can can, can relate to when the, the frustration sets in of losing something of value like your keys or your purse or your wallet. Or listen to this, heaven forbid you would lose your phone. Imagine that. Disaster. That's the point. Jesus says, do you get this tension? Do you you know what it's like? Do you you feel this constraint in your heart of what it's like when you lose something of great value? That's the point. It keeps on going. Verse 5, he kind of explains the first story. and He says, 
So when the shepherd finds his sheep, he lays it on his shoulders and he's rejoicing. And when he comes home with his sheep, he calls together all his friends and his neighbors. And he says to them, rejoice with me. For that, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Everybody's standing around and says, I get that. I mean, you lose that valuable sheep and you find it. Of course you call your friends to come over and celebrate. Of course you throw a party. Of course there's joy when you found your lost sheep. And then he goes on, he says, And this woman, when she finds her coin, she calls together all her friends, verse 9, saying, Rejoice with me. I found the coin which I'd lost. And everybody goes, Yeah, I get that. Of course, if you lose your wallet or your credit card or your coins or whatever, and you find something of value, of course you're going to call people together and say, Man, we've been looking for days. We found this thing of great value that was lost. Just kind of scratching their heads, and Jesus is kind of reeling them in, you know, telling these stories, and they're all going, Yeah, I get that. And then Jesus says, But here's the point that you miss. This was to be incredibly convicting and challenging to them. It's to be incredibly convicting and challenging to us because Jesus is about to tie the net, so to speak, and he's going to say, Listen, the same passion that resonates in your heart for something that was value that was lost, a sheep, that's important. A coin, that was important. What about the soul of a human being? It was lost and comes to believe and is transformed. Do you pursue that with the same zeal? Is there the same degree of rejoicing like the woman who lost her coin, like the man who lost his sheep? And Jesus ties the net. Verse 10, he says, in the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And Jesus says, listen, you want to know why I do what I do and why I'm zealous to make known even what appears to be to the point of compromise sometimes and I go. It's because these men and women are of great value to my Father. You just don't get the love of the Father, do you? That's what he's saying. You just don't get it. I mean, he's, he, I, I, maybe you fill in the blanks and he says, you all understand when I'm resonating about something of earthly value of a sheep or a, a coin. But you don't have the same level of concern in your heart. And Jesus is saying that I do because I recognize the love my Father has for the souls of men and women. That when one comes to faith, you've got to understand there's a party in heaven. There's rejoicing in the very presence of God when someone comes to faith. Now Jesus makes his point here and again he tells these stories and they're challenging and you're not sure if the people around even get it and, he, and then he takes it to the next level and he says, everybody gets a coin, everybody gets a sheep, okay, what about a father and a son? So he's going to tell a third parable. Now everybody knows the story of the prodigal son, everybody knows that, you've heard that, but do you know the context in which Jesus tells that story? In fact, the story is of the prodigal son is not even really the main character, it's not even really the son. Jesus tells this story again because he's saying to this group, you just don't get the love of the Father, do you? You want to know what motivates me? It's the love of the Father. So he tells this story. He picks up verse 11. He says, okay, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that befalls me or that falls to me. And I'll stop right there. Not a, 
in a Jewish context, you really don't get the significance of this. Jesus is telling this story, and here's some problems with his story. Number one, the second born is asking for his inheritance before the firstborn. That doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. And even more so, this young man is asking for his inheritance from his father who's still alive. You don't get your inheritance from parents while they're still alive. That's the point. Jesus is saying, here's this dude. He comes to his dad and he says, Dad, I want the inheritance. In fact, I'm really saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Because I want the stuff more than I want you. You say, why would Jesus tell that story? Because Jesus is to inflame his crowd, and they're standing there hearing that, and they go, that is the most ridiculous, ludicrous thing I've ever heard in my life. What does the father do? Jesus goes on, verse 12, he says, so the father divided his wealth between them. He gave him his inheritance. And you know the rest of the story, but the boy takes his inheritance, he leaves home, says he goes to a distant country so nobody could keep up with him, no accountability. He goes, he, he wastes all he has, he says, on loose living. He wastes it all. He's there for weeks and months and maybe even years. And the picture is back home. This father is day by day by day longing for the day that he looks out over his property and he sees his son returning home. That's the point. So Jesus presents that and he tells the story about the son. And then he goes on verse 15. He says, so the son was there in a far country and he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, a Gentile. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. So Jesus just kind of <laughs> digs even a little deeper about this boy. And he says, okay, so he, he's been disrespectful to his father. He, he's, he, he's greedy. He wants his father dead. He goes off in all this immoral living. Then he works for a Gentile. And guess what this Gentile hires him to do? Take care of pigs. And you all know in the mind of a Jew, there is no more unclean animal than a pig. So here's this boy. He's a pig-feeding gluttonous, lazy, immoral, disrespectful boy. And the crowd around is raising their fists and saying, man, this guy deserves everything he's getting. I hope, you know, that's the point. This boy deserves nothing from his daddy. That's the point. So Jesus goes on with the story and he says, but this young boy comes to his senses and he looks around and I'm just going to tell you the story. He looks around and he's feeding these pigs and he has no life and he remembers in his mind. He says, I remember how it was when I was back home. I had a dad that loved me and I had a life. What was I thinking? My foolishness, what I've done. And he begins this journey back home. And we don't know how long it was, years maybe. But back home, the father has pretty much concluded this boy must be dead. He's been gone so long. The family's concluded this boy must be dead. And then Jesus paints the picture of the day. I love this. He says in verse 20, So he got up and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. When Jesus said the father felt compassion for him, every Jew standing around went, Compassion? That boy deserves nothing from his father. It says the father felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him. And by the way, even the phrase ran is scandalous in that day. A dignified Jewish landowner never runs. You just don't do that. So the picture is of this dad. He hikes up his skirt or dress or whatever, you know, they wore in that day. I can't think of the right term. So he, he girds up his loins and he runs to this boy as a picture of his great love for this boy that was lost. And Jesus goes on and says in verse 23, 
and bring the fatted calf out and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead. Practically speaking, the boy was dead. And he's come to life again. He was lost and he has been found and they begin to celebrate. And Jesus tells this story, this parable, to answer their question, why in the world are you so concerned about those who don't follow you and those who reject God? Why are you spending time with tax collectors and sinners? And it's to say again, just like this picture, you just don't get the love of the Father, do you? You just don't get it. And Jesus was to say, the motivation by everything I do is, is the love of the Father. And these are two takeaways I'm going to give you this morning. Here's your first takeaway. Jesus' followers make known the Father's love to our neighbors and the nations. It is the great love of our Father in heaven that he has for the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, and much more than that, people. People who don't know Christ. Now please let this go be, beyond the loudmouth preacher on stage who's ranting about this. I pray that God takes his word and he sinks it down into our hearts and we as a church, when, you, when you're praying over those three names that are on that card and you continue to pray for those that don't know Jesus, you realize this person that I'm praying for is of infinite value to my Father in heaven and he is greatly loved by my Father in heaven. Why would I not go tell him that? How could I keep from going to this person and letting them know how greatly they're loved by the Father? And they say, how do I know that? Because he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and died in your place and rose from the dead and paid your sin debt. Jesus has paid it all that you could have life and eternity and purpose and meaning. How could we not tell them that? We pass by that wall out in our foyer with all those names all over that wall. Man, I hope we don't get so callous that we just walk by and it's ink or it's chalk on a wall. Every one of those are names of people that are of infinite value to the Father, that the Father loves greatly. And I pray right now, even in your mind, there are names of people, maybe on your card, maybe one of your three, maybe in your sphere, maybe at your workplace, and you realize, man, my Father in heaven loves deeply that person I've got to get the love of God and the gospel to that person that's the point it's the point of the parables that's the point of what Jesus teaches and they're to hear here's what motivates Jesus it's this great love the father has and Jesus in us in the same way we're to be motivated not by the amount of love that we can conjure up because it's not much but constrained by the love of God demonstrated in the person of Jesus Christ to make that love known. See that? Do we get the love of the Father? Now, quickly, and trying to make it very applicable, I don't have time to continue on, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he quickly tells a fourth parable. and It's chapter 16. You can look there really quick, but... The first three parables were the why. What motivates you, Jesus? And then Jesus tells another parable, and he says, here's the how. And he tells a negative story about a steward or a, 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 a servant to a master, and he gives a negative illustration to teach a positive principle. And he says this 16.1, he was also saying to his disciples, so it's connected. These are not disconnected. He said, there's a rich man who had a manager, and 
charges were brought against that manager, that this man was wasting the rich man's possessions. And he called him to him and said, what is this I hear about you? Turn to the account, turn to the account of your management, for you no longer can be my manager. Jesus is going to give a story again. He says, okay, there was a rich guy. He had a guy that worked for him. He was squandering. He was cheating him. He calls him in. He says, you're no longer my manager. You're fired. But before all that could trickle out to all his customers, he begins to go to his customers and he says, hey, how much do you owe my boss? And they say, well, I owe him $500,000. And they said, hey, don't worry about it. Make it $400,000. And he goes to his other customers. He said, how much do you owe my boss? And they say, well, I owe him $100,000. And he says, cut it to 50. Don't worry about it. It's on me. Because in their minds, he still has that authority. And Jesus says, there's a picture and there's an illustration for you here. And here it is in verse 8. This guy comes back to his master, and the master you would think would be upset, but he commends him, and here's what he says. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. The word shrewdness is the same word for brain or for our thinking, and Jesus is saying, listen, the people of this world use their brain to gain profit for themselves, to figure out ways to gain for themselves. And then he says, the sons of this age are more shrewd in regard to their own generation than the sons of light. Say, I don't understand what all that means. Here's what that means. Jesus is saying this, in the same way this shrewd manager used everyday means to gain something for himself, you as children of God use everyday means to advance the kingdom of God and to make Jesus know. See, where do you get that from? Verse 9. Here's the lesson, Jesus says. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then your earthly possessions are gone. They will welcome you into an eternal home. In other words, you can use the ordinary, common, everyday things in life to make friends, advance the gospel, impacting eternity. That's what that means. So Jesus says, here's the heart of the Father. Incredible love for those precious souls of men and women that don't know him. There's rejoicing in heaven. When someone comes to believe. And then he says, as people of God, use, and this is your second takeaway, Jesus followers, the people of God, use common everyday means to make known the Father's love to our neighbors and to the nations. Use common everyday means to make known the love of God. See that? Jesus puts these two things together. So real practical, what does that look like for us as a church over the next couple of days? If you don't know, over the next couple of days, we've set aside something called Share Week. Now, it's not a program. It's just an initiative of something that we get to do together and we get to pursue together. There's power when God's people are pursuing something together. Man, we want it to be a life. Every day we're making Jesus known where we live, work, and play. But a couple of times a year, we have a focused effort to challenge one another. And to pray one another. So as we enter into Share Week, here's what we're challenging all of us, me included. Jennifer and I are part of this. Is that over the next seven days that every member of Tri-Cities loves at least one person enough. Maybe it's a person on your list of three that you've been praying for. That you love someone enough to invite them to a meal. Just like Jesus. Invite them to a meal. Why? Because you love them. Because the Father loves them. To invest in that person and pray that God gives you the opportunity to plant the seeds of the gospel. Share the love of God. Share the message of the gospel, which is of eternal value. Use something as common as a meal to invite someone, maybe to your home, out to eat, maybe to Golden Corral, maybe not Golden Corral. Somewhere that you invite someone to a meal because you love them. 
And you want to use something that common to make Jesus known. And here's what's cool about that. Think about this. I love this. So if you're not sharing Jesus at one of these meals, here's what you know. Over the next seven days, every meal time, you can count on probably somebody in my church family is sitting down with someone hoping to share the gospel. So even if you're not sharing the gospel at a meal, you can pray for your brothers and sisters. Go into your mealtime. Share it with your family. Say, hey, as we pray over our meal, we're going to pray for our brothers and sisters. We trust somebody somewhere out of our church is making known the gospel somewhere right now and pray for one another. Man, that's powerful. And then tonight at 6 o'clock over here at the outpost, we're going to gather and we're going to pray for one another and kick off, this, kick off this share week by praying and asking God to give us courage and Give us boldness and open doors of opportunity for the gospel. So we're going to bathe this in prayer. And we're going to go to our life groups. We're going to share this. And we're going to encourage one another and pray for one another. And this is something we're going into together, this thing called Share Week. Why? Because the love of the Father compels us to make known his great love for these men and women where God has planted you to make known the love of Jesus in their life. And we're going to encourage one another to make known the love of Christ this week. See that? So here's what we're going to do. I want you to watch this short video. It's just really quick. And while this video is running, uh, a couple of our elders are going to join me on stage. And I want you to hear from them very briefly this morning. And then we're going to wrap this up and uh, send us out on mission this morning. So why don't you turn your attention uh, to the screen. Jesus lived his life loving the lost using the routines of his life to engage his friends with the gospel. In John 15, 15, he said, I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. This was true friendship to Jesus, telling others what he heard from the Father. Like Jesus, we can use the routines of our lives, like the meals we eat, to make the gospel God has shown us known to our friends. This is the love of Jesus, and we are here to share it. kick off a couple few days really important in the life of our church. I'm joined by two of our elders. You guys know these, uh, Larry Durham and Paul Mermilli up here on stage. So you guys just welcome them and thank them for what they do and they're here on stage with us. Love these guys. So I want to start this way. Larry, I'm going to come to you first and uh, you know I've talked a lot about this. I love what you said first service and it just meant so much to me several weeks ago when we were sharing something like this and you were honest uh, even as one of our elders to say this whole share thing and making Jesus known when several years ago when you guys first came to Trust Cities and even a few years ago um, it's a challenge for you it's been a growth area for you and I'll say for all of us but you were just so honest about that and it meant so much to me so why don't you share with us a little bit what's that growth been like in your life this whole share and make Jesus known thing that we're talking about okay yeah thank you um, several weeks ago I shared with Pastor Mike and uh, the folks in the John City campus that we first had the initiative of uh, coming up with your three names. Uh, I literally drew a blank, uh, both literally and figuratively drew a blank. Um, and at that season, I had convinced myself that I didn't know any unbelievers, that I was somehow in this Christian bubble, um, you know, in various aspects of my life, live, work, and play, uh, that I didn't know any believers. Um, so I, I took that to the Lord. It didn't take him very long to convict me, convict me um, and to... Um, lead me to realize I was just, just living a lie by, uh, all, by all vantage points um, and that I had blinders on and truly did not see the variety of individuals around me 
in various aspects of my life that were lost. Mm. Um, so through that, I prayed for the Lord uh, to continue to reveal to me, to open uh, doors, opportunities, to have meals and interactions together, but then also to better understand for those individuals that may have shared with me, primarily in the work environment, I go to church, have certain aspects of life to live, to really be vulnerable uh, and to go beyond the surface level, the comfortable aspects of interactions and really delve into getting into their business for lack of a better term. And that's not normal for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm very gregarious, very, you know, business-like what have, but at a certain point, okay, good, thank you, let's go. Yeah. Um, so really the Lord to this day is continuing to work in me that he's identified several individuals, both at work and then outside of work and within our church that I'm pursuing and the Lord's working in through me and allowing me to learn from them, allowing me to um, press on certain items, convict uh, or seek to convict, but let, realizing that it's the Lord's work. Yeah. Uh, I, I've been asked not to change hearts, not to change minds, not to save individuals, because that's beyond any of us. That is his power through his spirit. But he has equipped us and has charged us to go yeah. and to make disciples and to teach. So it really has been a journey of going from blinders being on to really being engaged. It's going to look different for each of us at different parts of our lives. But really working through that tension, working through that discomfort, and realizing, and I do believe this, at least one or two of the names or the couples that are on mine and my wife's list, that we'll probably lose those relationships mm. just by way of getting to a point of, okay, Larry, thank you, thank you, we're going to go to Panera with you, whatever, at a certain point, stop this Jesus talk. Mm. Stop trying to change me. I, I can see that coming. Mm. Uh, and so I've got to prayerfully fight that aspect of, Lord, if, if you are, and your word does say you are, calling me to share and to live um, the life you want me to live, I've got to be okay with losing these relationships. Mm. So that's an ongoing work in progress. Yeah, well, I, I so appreciate his honesty. And again, so honest that it's a work in progress for all of us. And I want you to hear that Larry, Paul, me, none of us, we never arrive at this. This is a continual growth and sanctification and growth in Christ's likeness because everything in our flesh and everything around us gives us a thousand excuses of why not make Jesus known. We have plenty of excuses why not to do that. So I really appreciate your honesty in that, Larry. Thank you. Uh, Paul, come over to you a little bit. Ask the question this way. So we talk a lot about this at our church, Share 1515 Culture, uh, really trying to advance in this. Why is this so important? Why is it so important to all of us in our personal growth? And why is it so important for us as a corporate body? I mean, obviously, we make a big deal about it. Why is it such a big deal? Why don't you speak to that? Yeah. Well, I like the question a lot. Yeah. Um, when you talk about culture, because I've felt that, even my wife and I having been here, is we think a lot more about personal evangelism and about people around us who may not know Jesus because we're here. And that is becoming the culture. And I think that's really important for us, before I answer your question as a church, to, to recognize this, is that um, if we're not careful, we'll take things like Share 1515 and Make Known, and we'll make that an event that happens in the fall, that happens in the spring, and then we go about our normal lives. Yeah. What we're praying is that it's not about a speaker, it's not about an event, we, this isn't a rally point for us, it's, it's something we want to be a part of our everyday walk, our, yeah. our normal lives that we're thinking about how can we share the gospel with those yeah. who are far from Jesus. And so why do we want that for you, for our family, for me? Um, a few reasons. One is because we want something for you. We don't just want something from you. We're not, we're not just trying to get a bunch of names. We want something for you. We want you to find the joy of what we talked about earlier, that heaven celebrates when the one lost sheep, when the lost coin, the lost son returns. All of heaven celebrates. We want you to experience that joy of seeing the lost be found. We want to celebrate that joy. We're praying over that the next few weeks that that joy becomes realized. 
but also we want you to experience the joy of becoming like Jesus. Because that's the point of the Christian life, right? The elders are called to help equip the saints for the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4. Why? So that every single member might be built up into the image of Christ. So the goal of your life and my life is that we become like Jesus. And what did Jesus come to do? He came to seek and to save those who are lost. And so when we share our faith with others, when we share the salvation, the gospel message, we are becoming more like Jesus. We want you to experience that joy. So it's not about duty. I have to do this. It's about delight. I get to do this. It's the overflow of our abiding relationship with Christ. We want something for you. I want something for our church family. Another reason why we want it to become the culture of our church is because there are literally billions of people around the globe who do not know Jesus and who are headed to a Christless eternity. Let that weigh on you. Jesus looked out over the city. What did he say? His heart was filled with compassion. That word compassion, like there's a wrenching inside his soul over lostness. As we sit here within a 10-mile radius of where we sit right now, there are tens of thousands of human beings who are separated from Jesus and who will head to eternity separated from him if they do not hear the good news. We need to carry that compassion. We need to carry that, that burden with us. That should be something that's on us, not because we can save them, like you said, but because God has called us to be a part of that. And the last thing I'd, I'd say is why we want this for you and why we want this for us is because we get the opportunity to fight from victory. I think one of the things that we forget, or I know I forget, when I, I think about, okay, am I going to talk to this person about Jesus? I'm afraid of all the things I'm going to lose. Yeah. I'm afraid of it going wrong. But guys, listen, Jesus rose from the dead. Yeah. The grave has been de- defeated. Sin is gone. It's done. If God can raise your heart from death to life, he can raise anyone's heart from death to life. And it's not your message. It's his message that we get to carry. And so I'd love to see for our church this week that we don't go in defeated about what we might lose, but that we walk in triumph that the battle has been won. Mm. And we as a church get to be a part of that. Yeah, that's awesome. So you, you might be asking, all right, so are, are you guys taking part in this? And I think you already mentioned, uh, are you just preaching it or is it something you're taking part of? And listen, as you're praying this week, you're going to be praying for Jennifer and me. I mean, we've set up one of these meetings with this family that we dearly love because we love them. We want them to know the love of the Father, and man, we hope God gives us the opportunity to share Jesus uh, with them. So we're participating in this, and it's so exciting to know that you, our church family, are going to be praying for us in this. And that's just a neat thing this week over every meal as that's happening. Uh, you heard, uh, I guess, at the beginning of my prayer a little bit, God, take this spark and let it be a flame of movement in the life of our church. Not just an event, but a culture. So why don't you guys share a couple sentences. Larry, go first. What are you as one of our elders praying for our church in, in this? I'd love to hear that. Um, so my prayer is that our joy will be found uh, in and through Jesus and him alone. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, and I realize that that begins with me. That mm-hmm. begins in my pursuit daily. That begins in how I lead my home, how I point my kids, my wife to Jesus, and then overflow from there. Uh, so that's the desire that we have. Uh, not for a particular, as it was mentioned earlier, for a season, for a week, uh, for a quarter, um, but day by day. And that's a work in progress. As mentioned earlier, he is sanctifying us yeah. day by day. So that's my prayer. Yeah, fantastic. Paul, why don't you share yours and then lead us. I want you to pray for your church family. And now Paul's going to pray over us and he's going to kind of lead us into a response time. Team's going to come and they're going to sing and then 
Pastor Jeff's going to come wrap it up a little bit with some really good details about what we're going into this week and how you're equipped and resources that are available for you. So, Ben, what's your prayer, and then what you pray for us? Yeah, um, two prayers. One is that we wouldn't assume people around us already know Jesus and have saving faith. Mm. One of my best friends in high school, we, we grew up together and shared everything. And one day, um, we've been together for years, and he came in and told me he'd placed his faith in Jesus. And he was so excited about his faith. And in that moment, I was excited for him, but also I, I felt guilty. I thought he was a Christian this whole time. And over years, had never even taken the time mm. to really talk to him about his relationship with the Lord. Mm. I think for a lot of us, we just assume people, our coworkers or family members, they, they know yeah. Jesus. And so I, I think one of my prayers is that we wouldn't assume. The second prayer that I'm praying for you is that you would just experience the gospel in a fresh way this week. Mm. That you'd stop to remember and dwell on the fact that you were once lost, but now you've been found. That God sent his son and shed his blood to rescue you. And I think that compels us. And so I just want to read a couple stanzas from a hymn, because I, and I'll pray for us. It says this, I just want you to think about these words. O four thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise, the glories of my God and King, the triumphs of His grace. My gracious Master and my God, assist me to proclaim, to spread through all the world abroad the honors of Thy name. Jesus, the name that charms our fears and that bids our sorrows cease, tis music in the sinner's ears, tis life and health and peace. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoners free. Think about this. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. His blood has come and availed for you. And our prayer is that in seeing that and remembering that, we'd see his blood availed for others. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you for my family. I thank you to be a part of a church that longs to see the lost come to know you in saving faith. And I just pray for my brothers and sisters that this week we would be bold, that we would see the opportunities around us, we would not be distracted by the busyness of our lives, and that we would be bold to share, fighting for victory from victory, remembering that you first saved us, and now we get to carry that to others. I pray that even this week over my brothers and sisters, that, that they would see a fresh and anew the good news that Jesus came to save a sinner just like them. And I pray that as a church, God, that you would allow us to get to participate in the joy that heaven experiences of the lost becoming found. I pray that there would be homes this week filled with joy because a family member comes to faith. That there would be offices filled with joy because a coworker comes to saving faith. That there would be joy because people give their lives to going to, on a church plant or becoming a missionary to go to the unreached places. That there would be much joy in the city and the world because of what happens in the life of our family. And I pray it begin with us. In your name we pray. Amen.